Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the New Testament book of Revelation. The New Testament book of Revelation in Revelation chapter number 12. Revelation in chapter number 12. We want to hit a very special message tonight just to encourage you outside of any series, but just to answer some questions that you may find through this unusual passage of the book of Revelation. Of course, the book of Revelation is talking about future things. And it's talking mostly about a period called the tribulation. And in this, the tribulation is a seven-year period where God is specifically working with his Hebrew people to draw them to himself. And he's doing many things to draw these people to himself. And we now find our way in the book of Revelation in chapter number 12. The book of Revelation in chapter number 12. And if you wouldn't mind looking with me, let's look together in Revelation chapter 12, starting at verse number 1. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 1. The word of God says this, And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven. And behold, a red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven crowns upon his head. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven, and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman which is ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as... As it was born. And she brought forth a man child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she hath had a place prepared of God. And they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. And there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels, and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength, and the kingdom of our God, and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil is come down unto you, having a great wrath, because he knoweth he hath 
but a short time. And when the dragon saw that he was cast unto the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place, where she is nourished for a time, and times, and half a time, from the face of the serpent. And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And the dragon was wroth with the woman, and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God, and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And if you have to mark things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of Revelation chapter number 12? The book of Revelation chapter 12, and if you wouldn't mind, notice with me in verse number 9. The book of Revelation chapter 12 and verse 9, notice the phrase, that old serpent called the devil. That old serpent called the devil. If you wouldn't mind, let's go to the throne room of grace and let's talk to the Lord together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you today, we're just asking that you would give us grace and that you would give us mercy. That you would help us now as we talk about this very important, crucial part of the Word of God. That not only does it entail future events, but it also gives us an understanding of the spiritual war that's being engaged even yet today. That we're all a part of. Help us to understand even more about the spiritual war and how important it is for us to live for the Lord. Fill me with your precious spirit even now. Give us understanding from your Holy Spirit who penned this Bible and that we could understand from the author exactly what this passage means, that we could interpret it correctly and that we may apply it the way that we should. Thank you that we can trust you for this help. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, as we come to the book of Revelation, we know that the book of Revelation is full of pictorial language that is talking about literal events. And that we know that whenever we interpret the Bible, we try to interpret it as literally as possible. And so as we've been going through the book of Revelation, we know that the book of Revelation, even though it takes some time and it takes some research and it takes time to study to show thyself approved, rightly dividing the word of truth, it is something that is supposed to be understood. That the book of Revelation is not supposed to be a book that we just chalk it up and say, well, I don't know what it means and therefore it's beyond me. This is a book, in fact, that God desires for us to understand. And so far through the book of Revelation, it is an understandable book if you take time and interpret it correctly. Now, we know that when we interpret the Bible, and many people get to this passage here, they start to be confused because there's clearly lots of pictorial language. Now, we know that we interpret the Bible as clearly as possible even in the pictorial figurative language. For example, if someone was to say, I'm as happy as a lark, we would literally interpret that as they are happy. And they're using pictorial language to get across something they're expressing. Well, inside of the book of Revelation chapter 12, this is not spiritual language and it's not a hidden code, but it is using pictorial language to try to get across a clear understanding of something literal and something true. Now, because it is using some pictorial language, we don't want to be confused. We want to 
interpret things correctly. So the first thing we would like to do is have the identification of the people. The identification of the people. Let's identify there are three specific people that is mentioned in this text. Three specific images. We have the woman that is pictured in verse number one. We could see that she's going to bring forth a man child in verse number five. And then all throughout it, it is talking specifically about an old dragon. And so if you don't mind, let's help describe and identify this and we want to start where God gives the clear interpretation that we know that the dragon is mentioned in verse number three and there appeared a wonder in heaven and behold a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head who is this well notice again if you don't mind in verse number seven and there was a war in heaven and Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon fought and his angels notice in verse number nine as we now find as God interprets and reveals who this dragon is verse number nine and the great dragon was cast out that old serpent called the devil and Satan which deceiveth the whole world and he was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Now, in verse number nine, we have the clear identification of this serpent, this dragon. It is Satan. Now, most people, when they think of this old serpent, they have what they've been taught from many ages is that this serpent is the same serpent that's found in the book of Genesis that tempted Eve. And that is correct. However, most people will misinterpret that serpent and call it a snake. Do you know that the word serpent is found throughout the word of God and it doesn't carry exclusively the idea of a snake, but it carries the idea of a reptile of a sort and reptiles cover a huge range of creatures which would also include dragon. Now remember that in the Bible, the Bible describes Satan as being prideful. The Bible talks about in the book of Job that he is the king of the children of pride. We know that pride was his first besetting sin that caused him to rebel against God. And so if you were one of the most prideful creatures in all of creation, what would you rather appear as? A serpent hanging from a tree or a wise, majestic, full of life, large, legendary dragon? Well, of course, the dragon fits him. And of course, this is what the Bible says. In fact, it interprets it. Notice in verse number nine. And the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent. We could see here that God is using the word dragon and the word serpent interchangeably. And all throughout the rest of this text, you'll see that, that this dragon is Satan and he is a dragon. We know that there are such things as dinosaurs that when the Bible was translated in 1611, that the word dinosaur had not been coined yet, but there were obviously without a doubt, huge beasts of dinosaurs. And dragon is just an old word that would describe that same creature. In fact, the Bible even defines and describes a fire-breathing dragon in the book of Job. We're not going to take the time to explore that now, but it is a fascinating study. And without a doubt, we have the identification of this old dragon, a literal dragon, Satan himself. And this dragon 
is in a spiritual war. And he hates God. Remember Satan declared war against God. Because Satan wanted to be God. But the job was not available. And so God kicked him out of heaven. Well if we now have the identification of that old serpent. That devil known as Satan. Let's see if we can identify who else is in this. Notice with me in verse number 5. And let's identify next the child. Notice in verse number 5. And she brought forth a man child. Now what is this man child going to do? Who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. Here in verse number 5. We have the interpretation of the child. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ was born of a woman. He lived on this earth. He robed himself in flesh. And lived the same life that you and I lived. He went through the same temptations. The same troubles. And the same heartbreaks. Then he died on the cross for your sins and mine. And then after he rose from the grave. He spent 40 days speaking to his disciples. Giving last minute instructions. And then he ascended up to heaven. To be at the right hand of the throne of God. And one day Jesus Christ is going to come back on this earth. And he's going to rule and reign for one. 1,000 years. As the Bible says, it's this Christ child who's going to rule all nations with a rod of iron. But currently he's up with God and his throne. And so now we have the identification of the second person within this book of Revelation. We have Satan, that old dragon, the serpent, the devil. Then we have the child, the man child, who we identify as Jesus Christ. Well, knowing the interpretation of the dragon, knowing the interpretation of Jesus Christ, let's now identify what most people have the hardest time identifying, and this is the woman. Notice with me in verse number one. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she being with child travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. Here we have the identification of the mother. The one with the twelve stars helps us to identify it. This is going to be a picture of... Of the nation of Israel. Of the Hebrew people. Remember Israel was made up of 12 different tribes. And it was out of Israel. That God had made promise to the Hebrew people. That he was going to send forth a child from the ranks. And here is it's giving this pictorial language in verse number 2. And she being with child travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. These are the people that were looking and waiting for the promise of the Messiah. All the way from Adam and Eve. As it went through the ranks that God had promised Abraham a child. That he had also promised David a child. And he had told Israel that he was going to bring salvation. This identification of this woman is the nation of Israel. And that makes sense within the context of Revelation. What is the purpose of Revelation? To let us know what's going to happen in the future. Specifically during the time of the tribulation. What is the purpose of the tribulation? For God to work with his people Israel. To bring them to himself. 
And so now as we see in this picture, knowing the context of Revelation and identifying that this is going to be Israel who brings forth the Christ child, we now have the players in mind. And this is going to be important because God is doing in pictorial language explaining something that's going to be happening during the period of the tribulation. Which now brings us to the second thing. Not only do we have the identification of the people, but we see the context of the passage. The context of the passage. Notice with me in verse number 3. And there appeared another wonder in heaven. So the first wonder was Israel. Remember God had delivered Israel. He chose Israel. Israel is a miracle within itself of the Hebrew people. How God had protected them and guarded them. They were a miracle. Then we could see there's another wonder in heaven. Behold, a red dragon, great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon. We understand that Satan has a spiritual war against God. Notice as it goes on in verse number four. And his tail drew a third part of the stars. Here we can see the third part of the stars. Here the Bible identifies the stars and other passages here as angels. And so we know according to the Bible that Satan had rebelled against God. And had great, a great spiritual war against God. And in the conflict Satan was able to draw one third of the host of heaven. One third of the angels to come and follow him. Now we now come commonly call these fallen angels demons and they fell against uh, fell with Satan against God and this spiritual war has been raging all of this time notice as we go on in verse 4 and his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them these angels these demons to the earth notice this now and the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. Now remember, Satan understood who Christ was. He understood that Christ was God, robed in flesh. And as God had chosen to come on earth, he was chosen to be born of a woman. Of course, we know Israel specifically. And as God is preparing to robe himself in flesh... Arguably at his weakest point. Here is a little defenseless baby. That's helpless and defenseless. And of course Satan did everything he could. To destroy the Christ child. Of course historically we understand. That God, that Satan had prepared Herod the Great. To hear that the Christ child. The king of the Jews was to be born. And Herod had ordered Every child under the age of two to be put to death with the purpose of catching the Christ child as well. Satan knew he wanted to destroy Christ and do everything he could to keep Christ out of the way. And do everything he could to stop the Son of Man from being born and dying for our sins. We know that this great spiritual war was going on. And we could see this even in the word pictures here. That Satan, he's waiting for the mother to deliver. And as soon as that child, this helpless child comes out, Satan is going to do everything he can to snuff out the life of this Christ child. Again, this is painting a picture of a great spiritual war between God and Satan. And of course, mankind is stuck in the middle of it. God loves us and Satan because he hates God hates us now he can't destroy God 
But he can destroy what God loves. And Satan wants to do everything he can to destroy every life that he can get a hold of. Notice as we continue on in this context. Notice in verse number 6. And the woman, the Hebrew people, Israel, fled into the wilderness where she hath a place prepared of God that they should feed her there a thousand, two hundred, and threescore days. Now when you add this up, this is going to equivalent to three and a half years. Now where we're at in the book of Revelation, we're now reaching the midpoint of the tribulation. Remember the tribulation lasts for seven years. Three and a half years is going to be a half a year. Or half that seven year period. And so at the very beginning of what we've seen in the context. Is that God has opened up the seal judgments. And he has poured them upon the earth. He has also opened up the trumpet judgments. And has put them upon the earth. Now what is also going on is that the Antichrist. Satan's puppet has made a peace agreement with the Hebrew people. And what they've made an agreement for was to rebuild the temple. The uh, Jewish people, great hope is to have the temple rebuilt. And so as this peace agreement is made, the temple is now being in the process of being made. And now as we're reaching the, the midpoint, something is going to happen where the Hebrew people are going to realize the Antichrist had fooled them, had deceived them, and they're going to turn from the Antichrist. Now Satan is going to be upset, and he's going to send a great persecution against the Hebrew people. Jesus speaks about this in the book of Matthew in chapter 24, that when the Hebrew people hear about this abomination of desolation, which is a different message, but when they hear about this, that they need to flee immediately. And the Hebrew people in mass are going to escape and flee from Jerusalem. They're going to escape from Israel, and they're going to hide into the mountains and the valleys formerly known as Edom, near the area of Petra, the rock city. And there they're going to be sustained and taking care of God, according to this passage here, for 1,203 score days, or three and a half years. God is going to feed them. He's going to prepare them. Remember, this woman is Israel, and as she is pictured, you have this picture of Satan trying to kill her. And she hides into the mountains, and God is going to sustain her and feed her and take care of her for the remaining three and a half years of this tribulation period. As we go on, notice as we see some more in verse number seven. And there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon and his angels. Now right here is we're seeing almost like a dual prophecy. We know that this had happened before when Satan was cast out from his position. But we also know according to this passage that Satan has had access to heaven. We'll talk more about that in a second. But in this midpoint of the tribulation... Satan is going to try to do an uprising against God one last time. And God is going to have Michael, the archangel, and the rest of the angels fight against Satan and his demons. They're going to have a great war up in heaven. Now, all of earth is trying to survive the tribulation thus far. And up in heaven is a spiritual war raging. And in this, Satan is going to be cast out. Now, one of the titles for Satan is that he's the prince and power of the air. He loses that title now. As now he is stuck on earth. 
And he has no more access to heaven. Notice as it goes on in verse number 9. And the great dragon was cast out. And that old serpent called the devil and Satan. Which deceiveth the whole world. And he was cast out into the earth. And his angels were cast out with him. Notice in verse 10. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven. Now is come salvation. And strength. And the kingdom of our God. And the power of his Christ. Why? For the accuser of our brethren is cast down. Which accused them before our God day and night. So Satan is going to be cast out. He had access to heaven before this point, And now he is kicked out. Notice in verse 12 as we now pick it up. It says, Therefore rejoice ye heavens and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. Notice this. Those who are in heaven rejoice. Satan's gone. Oh, but I feel sorry for all those people. Woe to those that are still stuck on the earth. Now Satan is raging and he's upset. Notice in verse 12. Therefore rejoice ye heavens and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. Why? For the devil has come down unto you. Having great wrath. Why? Because he knoweth. That he hath but a short time. You see at this point when he is kicked out. Satan has been self-deceived enough. That he thinks that he could still beat God. Now that he's been kicked out of heaven. He knows that God's prophecy is true. And Satan knows the Bible better than you. And he knows it better than me. And he knows according to prophecy. Satan only has three and a half years left. He has a short time. What's going to happen? Jesus is going to come back. And they're going to drag Satan to a holding cell called hell. And he's going to be trapped there for a thousand years. So the time that you and I live now. Satan has been running free for six thousand years. 6,000 years seems like a long time to you, me, maybe even the devil. But when you know that you only have three and a half years left, you know that your time is now limited, you only have a short time to get everything done, Satan is going to pour out all of his wrath knowing that his time is short. Notice in verse 13. And when the dragon saw that he was cast into the earth, he persecuted the woman, again we've identified her as Israel, which brought forth the man-child. Now because Satan cannot do anything against God, he's going to take it out against God's people, Israel, during this time of tribulation. And Satan is going to pour down his wrath to try to destroy every single Hebrew person he possibly can. It's going to be a persecution against the Hebrew people that the world has never known. And the Hebrew people has gone through some horrible persecutions in the history. And it's going to be worse and more intense than anything ever imagined. Notice in verse number 14. And the woman was, were given two wings of a great eagle that she may fly into the wilderness into her place where she's nourished for a time and times and time and a half from the face of the serpent. Once again, it's going to give this that God is going to supernaturally protect Israel. Now, interesting enough, we know that this is in our future and we have technology now. We have satellites you know, it's interesting to note that the Petra area where Israel is supposed to hide in the caves, that the type of minerals that are found within the rocks is one of the few places in the world where satellites can't read and they can't detect. 
And so God, in many different ways, is going to sustain Israel. He's going to feed Israel. He's going to take care of Israel. And Satan's going to do everything he can. But God is going to protect his people during this time. How long, by the way? Well, notice at the end of verse number 14, it gives a strange way of keeping time. It says, for a time and times and half a time. Now, when we read this, the word time here, it's a... It's a significance of one year. Well, you have a year, so you have a time. Then you have times, that's plural, that's two years. And then you have half a time, that's a half a year. So one plus two plus a half is three and a half years. Once again, it's already given this significance of it telling it in days. So it said it in days, and then it said it in poetical form. For the last three and a half years of the tribulation, a great persecution is going to go against the Hebrew people. But God is going to supernaturally protect His people during the time. Now, why? Well, God explains throughout the Bible, the purpose of the tribulation is to bring His people, Israel, back to Himself. And they're going to realize that God cared for them. That Satan never cared for them. The Antichrist never cared for them. Satan tried to lie to them and try to deceive them that God Jehovah had abandoned them. That he was not sending the Messiah. That Jesus was not the Messiah. And because of the love of Christ and because of the love of God, they're going to realize that Jesus was the Messiah after all. And they in droves will accept God and the promised son that was mentioned here. Notice again as we go on in verse 17. And the dragon was wroth with the woman. Again, Israel. Satan is mad with a woman. And went to war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. As I said, so many of the Hebrew people will accept Jesus Christ as a personal Savior. And Satan is going to go to war. Now, this is good and it talks about the future. But let's see something else here. Satan's current purpose. Meaning that we're seeing events here in the book of Revelation chapter 12 that are going to happen in the future. Right now, what is Satan doing currently? Well, let's see what he is doing currently. Notice with me in verse number 10. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ for the accuser of the brethren is cast down. Notice this. Which accused them, the brethren, before our God day and night. You know what has happened? Is that Satan right now, he is accusing the brethren. He's in heaven standing before God. Now, of course, we see this in many passages. The book of 1 John chapter 2 uh, alludes to this. We see this in the book of Zechariah, in the vision of Zechariah, and the trial of Joshua, where Satan is accusing Joshua, the high priest. We could see this in the book of Job, chapters 1 and 2, where Satan is standing before God and giving an account and giving an accusation of Job. What Satan's current job is, is he's standing before God accusing the brethren. Now, what is this accusation? Well, this accusation is not necessarily about us. It's about God. He is just using us as evidence. How does this work? God you are not a good God. And I can prove it. Look at this person here. They claim to be a Christian. But you want to know what they did? 
Your Christian child did this. And so God, because of their testimony, I present evidence that you're not a good God. Because if you were a good God, they wouldn't dream about doing this. If they were truly one of your children, they wouldn't behave like this. And so Satan, day and night, is accusing God, using us as evidence that God is not worthy of worship. In fact, that's what his whole argument was in the book of Job chapter 1 and the book of Job chapter 2. God, the only reason why Job ever serves you is because good things happen to him. I want to prove to you, God, you are not good and that if you allow bad things to happen to him, Job will curse you like everyone else does. You're not worthy to be worshipped when bad things happen. And so God said, all right, Job, Satan, you do whatever you want to Job, just don't touch his body. Okay, I'll prove you wrong. And so Satan goes and kills his kids. Kills his livestock. Gets rid of his servants. Takes away his finances. Destroys everything. And now Satan is waiting to accuse God. He's waiting for Job to finally say, God, I hate you. Why do you be so mean? But instead, Job said, blessed be the Lord. He giveth, he taketh away. And with that, Job didn't sin, curse God with his lips. He didn't sin with his lips. So Satan goes and says, listen, listen, that was just a fluke. You go ahead and touch his body. You go ahead and make him feel pain. He'll curse you because you are not worthy to be worshipped. God says, fine, just don't kill him. And so God allowed Satan to touch his body. And now Job is miserable. He's lost everything. He's lost his finances, lost his health. And he's hurting and he's miserable. And yet he's not cursing God. So Satan tries to cheat and sends his friends to encourage him. By saying, Job, you're not right with God. If you were right with God, this wouldn't be happening with you. Just go ahead and confess your sin. Come on, confess. And Satan tried to use his friends to encourage Job to curse God and die. And yet Job refused to. What was this whole purpose? This purpose was not against Job. Job was evidence. And by the way, this spiritual war is still going on. Satan wants to find some way to tell God that he is not good, that he's not right, that he's not worthy of worship. Unfortunately, Satan has us as evidence that when we fail God, when we willingly sin, when we disappoint God, when we mar our testimony... Satan is accusing us before God. <laughs> God, you want to know what one of your children were doing? They were doing this. Could you imagine how many times we've been used as evidence? This is a spiritual warfare going on, by the way. There is a war between Satan and a war between God. And Satan hates us. And he hates us because God loves us. And he wants to do everything to destroy us. In fact, turn with me if you don't mind to the book of 1 Peter chapter number 8. Let me show you this. The book of 1 Peter chapter number 8. If you're in the book of Revelation, just turn the other direction. You come to the book of Jude. Then you come to the book of 3 John, 2 John, 1 John, 
Second Peter, First Peter. First Peter chapter number five. The book of First Peter chapter number five. And let's see something about what Satan is trying to do currently. We know that one thing that he's doing is he's accusing us before God. He is the accuser of the brethren. And his purpose is because he hates us and he hates God. He wants to use us as evidence to tell God that he's not good and that he's not right. And that if we, he was truly good, we wouldn't behave the way that we do. We wouldn't disobey him. We would serve God with everything we have. But something else, because he hates us, because he hates God. Notice something else that Satan is doing currently. Notice with me in verse number 8. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. 1 Peter 5, 8. It says, be sober. Be vigilant. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Notice the Bible gives us the, the warning to be sober. This carries the idea to be clear-minded, to be uh, serious, to be sober, to be vigilant. That means to be on the lookout, to be looking out, to be watching for Satan. Be sober, be vigilant. Why? Because your adversary, Satan, is our adversary. And he hates us. The adversary of the devil. Notice he's a roaring lion. We know a roaring lion. That if you ever study a nature show. They always go for one of three groups of people. They go for the young. They go for the weak. And they go for the alone. If there is someone all by himself. He's easy prey. Satan wants to get for him. If somebody is weak and, and not as strong, he makes himself easy prey. If there's young and by themselves and not paying attention, he's easy prey. And Satan is looking for those who are alone, those that are weak, those that are alone. He's looking to try to make them easy prey. Well, notice what he's going to do. It says, be sober and vigilant because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. That word devour is an interesting word. It carries the idea to make disappear. For example, if I had a ribeye steak right here, I could devour it. I could make it disappear. Well, what Satan wants to do in your spiritual life is he wants things to disappear. You know what Satan wants to do? He wants to make your church attendance disappear. He wants your Bible reading to disappear. He wants your prayer life to disappear. And he is seeking for ways to make that happen. Let me tell you, you're in a spiritual warfare and it is going to be a fight always and forever for you to read your Bible. It's going to be a fight always and forever for you to pray as you want. It's going to be a fight always forever for you to be faithful to church. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, revival meeting, soul winning, all of that. It's going to be a fight. As soon as you relax your guard and say, I've got this, something's going to happen where it's going to be a temptation for you to miss church, miss your Bible reading. And he's trying to make it disappear because he hates you. And his ultimate goal is to make you disappear. We all know folks that one day they were strong in church. They were there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. They were there for everything. And then we look around and where'd they go? They were devoured. They made disappear. 
Satan made them disappear. And because we're at a spiritual warfare, that's what he wants. That is his current purpose, is he wants things to disappear. Now, like it or not, you are engaged in a spiritual warfare. And like it or not, you must choose a side. You see, this is a spiritual warfare where you must be actively on purpose on God's side, or by default, you're on Satan's side. What do I mean by that? Well, remember, he's the accuser of the brethren. You have to actively, on purpose, choose to follow after Christ and choose to live, uh, live following after Christ, obedience to him. If you do not, Satan gets to use you as evidence. <laughs> this is one of the people you call your children. <laughs> You're not good, and that's proof. We have to actively, on purpose, choose to follow after Christ or if we don't, we're made to disappear and we're no longer helping God's side. We're hindering God's side. Less things are getting done because you are no longer in the fight. We're in a spiritual warfare and there are no bystanders. There are no spectators. You are either fighting on one side or the other every time. You are either fighting for the Lord or by default you are helping out Satan. No wonder the Bible says in the book of James chapter 4 and verse 4. Ye adulterers and adulteresses. Know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Therefore whosoever shall be a friend of the world is present tense. Currently the enemy of God. You see, we have a spiritual war. And that spiritual war is against Satan. And it's against God. And we're caught in the middle. And that we are either helping God's side or we're hurting God's side. There is no such thing as a neutral party in this spiritual war. You must choose a side. You must on purpose say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You must on purpose choose to follow after Christ. Which now brings me one last question. How do we overcome in this spiritual war? How do we win? How can we possibly be engaged and fight against a devil like this? Well, if you don't mind, let's turn back to the book of Revelation chapter 12. And let's answer the question, how do we overcome in this spiritual war. And verse number 11, it states three things, three ways th that we can overcome in this spiritual war. Notice with me in verse number 11. And they overcame him, Satan. So they, those are the brethren. Those are the ones that are accused in verse number 10. And they, the brethren, overcame him, Satan, by number one, the blood of the Lamb. The blood of the Lamb. What does this mean? We could do nothing of ourselves. We cannot fight this battle ourselves. We must depend upon the Lord Jesus Christ and His wonderful Spirit for what He has done for us and what He has provided for us in this spiritual war. There's none of you that is strong enough to withstand Satan on your own. We must have God's help. And you must ask for Christ's help daily. This is putting on the whole armor of God. This is so that way we could depend upon him and his precious spirit. What's another reason? How can we overcome this 
Satan during this spiritual war. We could see by the blood of the Lamb. But notice in verse 11. And they overcame him, Satan, by the blood of the Lamb. And by the word of their testimony. By the word of their testimony. This includes putting on the whole armor of God. Our testimony is not only to be used of Satan to accuse God. But you know our testimony can be used to tell the world that our God is real. How do you know that your God's real? They behave like it. They act like it. What do we mean? Well, if you believe that God is real, are you reading your Bible like he's real? If you believe your God is real and hears and answers prayer, are you praying like he hears and answers prayer? The Bible talks about in the book of Hebrews that we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of son is, but so much the more as you see that day approaching. What is that day? The day that Christ comes back. If you truly believe Christ was coming back, you would be in church more according to the scriptures. You see the testimony, the way that we live our life on a daily basis is an indicator that God is real. And it draws people more in the spiritual battle where there are real casualties. Real people suffer and die in this spiritual war. And one of the ways they overcome is by the word of their testimony. By them making a specific decision that every day they're going to live for the Lord. And live in such a way that brings honor and glory to God. Rather than hurting God's testimony and God's name because of the way that we behave. There's a third thing in here that explains how do we overcome in the spiritual war. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb. We overcome by the word of the testimony. But notice in verse number 11, one more thing. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. They loved not their lives unto the death. What does this mean? This means we have to choose a side. This means that we have to choose that we love God more than our lives. You understand that there is a battle. And a battle there must be someone who is engaging in the fight. And they need people that said, I love God more than my life. And so I can't play it safe. I can't hide in my hole. There are people who are perishing. There are people who are dying. And they need someone to go to the front lines to fight in this war. We need people to make a decision that I am going to fight in this war. I'm going to do my best. And I'm going to do what I can to help rescue the perishing, care for the dying. I'm going to do my best to help in this spiritual war so people can say God is real and they choose him. You see, you have to make a choice. There is no passive way of following God. You do not follow God by accident. It's done by purpose. This spiritual war is real. Satan hates God and he wants to do everything to destroy it. We have to choose to be on the Lord's side and behave like it. Now, there may be many people in here who may be never heard that you are engaged in a spiritual war. The moment that you accept Christ as your Savior, you enlist it. You're in the fight whether you liked it or not. Satan wants to make you disappear. He wants to devour you. But you have the choice now to say, Lord, I want to be on your side. I want you to train me. I want you to equip me. And I want you to put me in a place where I could do the best good in this spiritual battle. There are some people here tonight that need to accept Christ as their personal Savior. To be saved from the penalty that they owed God. And there are some people tonight that on purpose they need to say, Lord, 
I'm in the battle. I'm fully committed. I'm enlisted. Lord, use me. Help me to be used in this spiritual battle. I don't want to be a plaything. I want something that matters. I want to be something that helps in the battle and not hurts the cause. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you. Thank you.